This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Happy New Year! It's That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU, true crime, and we don't have guests, but we will soon. The strike is almost, you know, it's over, whatever. Um, Also, if you're checking in, I'm on a flight right now back from Mexico City. (laughs) Back to LA. Hopefully I had some, you know, outer body worldly experiences there or just ate some good food. I think you're going to eat great food. Everybody says Mexico City is like the new hotspot for cuisine. Like, yeah. a lot of bachelor parties go there. Like, like people go there for I'm going food. on the later end of, you know, Mexico City kept ramping up. It was the cool place to go. And, you know, I am now one of the basics that are part yeah. of that. One of the, one of the um, uh, executive producers of Drag Race went when we were um, working on the show. And he's like a cool, like, gay man that went with his husband. And I was like, this seemed like a really awesome trip. Like, when I saw the pictures. And that was 2019. You're not that late. I mean, three or four years. But it's like, I know what you're talking 
talking about a few years ago, Prague was like the hot place. Or not Prague. Um, the Dalmatian Croatia? coast. Croatia. The Dalmatian coast of Croatia. Like everybody was going there because it was like, it was like um, Game of Thrones was filmed well, there and stuff like that. Well, because I said something to my sister. I'm like, let's go to Croatia. She goes, it's over. We're going to Albania. That's the new place. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's the new hot spot. I love it. But it's like, I never want to go. Like everybody was going to Tulum at one point, like 15 yes. years ago. And then like, well, then it's like, you know, there's these little towns like Sayulita in Mexico, which everybody goes to, and then too many people go, and they ruin their fucking sewage system and their shit running through the streets because they can't handle that many people. So yeah. I love that we can just pick different locations to ruin every few years. Um, <laughs> I know. But you know what I didn't think about? I was hanging out with someone, and they were like, you know, it is— illegal to be gay in like 75 countries. And he was like, that's why all the gays always go to Mykonos or the same places over and over. Because yeah. it's like, there's only a few safe places where you can actually be like super gay and out and about. And I was like, yeah. wow, because we make jokes about the gays in Mykonos. But now it like, I was like, oh yeah, you can't fucking go everywhere and no, feel my comfortable. Brother, my brother and his husband had to think about that for their honeymoon. They were literally like, we only want to go somewhere that's like gay friendly. And they went, they ended up going to St. Bart's and St. Martin. But they were like, there were a couple places on their list that they were like, nah, we can't go there because we're gay. And I was like, oh fuck. Like that's why Puerto Vallarta is like a huge destination too, like for, for that. So it's interesting. Well, interesting in the worst way, for it's sure. It's horrible, but, like, it's, like, you. we don't think about that. That, like, you know. Well, yeah, it's, like, yeah, we, like, make jokes about, like, oh, you're going here without, like, thinking about what the... Yeah, like, I definitely thought, oh, wow, they're going to Puerto Vallarta again. And then I'm, like, oh, wait, like, yeah, you can't just, like, go wherever. And why not go to a place where, like, you're you're celebrated and, like, everybody loves, like, you're not just, well, they're not that bad to gay people there. Like, I guess we could go and just, like, not kiss each other ever in public. You know what I mean? Like, no, you're going to want to go to the places where they're, like, super welcoming. So there should be fucking more. It's kind of crazy that there's not. No, it's like straight up illegal in so many places. Yeah. Where like, you know, people could go perform certain places and my friends were like, absolutely not. My cousin who's gay has gone to Russia for like fun That's trips. wild. And I'm like, why? And he's like, eh, whatever. Like he just like is very, loves history, loves international stuff, you know. I don't know. I wouldn't go there. <laughs> I I know. I, I could speak the language. I would not step foot there in yeah. a million years. I mean, this um, was pre. This was like pre Ukraine and stuff that he went. Well, it was yeah. you know years ago. But like, um, well, yeah. yeah, I'd never gone back either. I, yeah. There's no way. Yeah, mm, I don't know. But outside of travel, I well, so this is a little outdated. Maybe I've posted some photos by now, but. I did get a VIP back uh, lot tour of the San Diego Zoo, and I did pet a zebra. And if, you, if you know Lisa, or you've been to our live shows, we've done a lot of talking about zoos. I had I didn't really know this until you, about you until like a few months ago, that you're but just I didn't like think a huge it was, zoo person. I know, but I didn't think it was... I don't know if I'm a... I enjoy animals, but... I guess I've had more opportunities lately to go to zoos that I haven't, but I'm, you know, I yeah. like animals. I know, I know you like animals, but like this, like this, getting this tour, I feel like was it was huge. a top moment in your life. Like it was really, it sounds it was amazing, cool, and it's just, it's really awesome to be around anyone that's really educated and smart and something they're really passionate about. And so, like to be with these young people that are working at the zoo, and if you're at the San Diego Zoo, you're not a schlub. You are the best in the country. That's you are, the best, one of the best zoos. Yeah, yeah. And so to learn about the conservation and so how much they've done for 
for animals and how much thought goes into animals. And like, we just kind of are like, oh, how sad they're in this thing. And just like the amount of thought goes into the space the animals in and the diet and the friends, like they were bringing a donkey to hang out with the zebra and like, you know, how different cheetahs have different personality traits. And so one likes to run for fun, but most don't want to run for fun. And like, they're happy to chill and get food and just the passion and love that these people had and just being able to like someone open a key and then everyone's looking at us and we're like, yeah, we're going behind. Yeah, we're going to feed these camels. Sorry for you. You love a VIP experience. It doesn't matter. You just love a VIP experience. And who doesn't? I love uh, passing a a line for sure and being on a list. But, and then three out of the four of us did go to the, did buy stuff at the store, which I liked. (laughs) But um, it was just cool. And the one thing I really learned was, you know, at the Pittsburgh Zoo, I was really sad for this red panda because he was so alone. And then I brought it up and our tour guide, she was like, oh, well, we're putting human emotions on animals. These are solitary animals. They're alone in the wild. They don't want friends. It's more food for them. And I went, whoa. And she goes, the only time they're together is mom and baby and the dad is gone. The dad's in a different place. The mom wants nothing to do with him. Yeah, unless you're like pack animals, I guess, like wolves or something, but yeah. Yeah. And they don't have wolves. Well, they have wolves in behind the scenes and like in the hospitals, but wolves don't want to be seen. And so they're not put out to be seen. Did you ask about pandas at all? What's going like about like the implications of like the pandas all leaving? I did, yeah. So, you know, it was like a 50-year lease, but she said that China's going to, like, bring them back. It was just part of the lease, and it actually ended in 2019, but the pandemic made it difficult. So they knew it was happening. The pandas are back, and she said they'll probably, like, broker a new deal and get the pandas back. Like, she's not really worried about it. It seems like they'll come back, that it wasn't, like, a geopolitical, like... Well, Fuck because that's what people situation. say. They're like, the pandas are a symbol of how relations are going between the U.S. and China. So who knows? Because it was worldwide. It was, I, or maybe it wasn't. But she didn't, see, she said, like, that they're probably coming back. Like, it didn't seem like she was that yeah. worried about it. But I also did ask um, someone about SeaWorld. And because they, um, in their animal hospital, they help SeaWorld. And I tried to get dirt and they were not. I don't think they were allowed to. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they're or, like, no or they really believe in what they were saying. I don't know, but that they're for them. Because I think uh, that's the one animal that makes me sad is like orcas. Like, I don't think orcas should be in captivity. Well, I never saw that doc. Did you see Blackfish? Of course. Of course you did. Yeah, like my octopus teacher, like you, you are into animals a lot more than I thought. I've been discovering. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool yeah. and cute. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I want to um, pet a thing. So anyways, once you pet a zebra, it's really hard to go back into the regular world and act like you're not better than people. But Oscar just got a zebra sticker at the doctor today. And I go, you know, Lisa got to pet one. He goes, can I do that one day? Like he was, uh, he's, he, my kids just want to do what you're doing all the time. They want to go to Mexico. They want to pet zebras. <laughs> this zebra is special because I learned that zebras are actually like pretty aggressive and defensive because they're prey for so many animals. This zebra is special and she's a fame whore. She's a little slut. She loves she attention. She loves let's touch, attention. Let's hang. Oh, my God. So it's also like we got lucky with this one, like, cutie zebra who likes attention, which is rare, I guess. And then the giraffes, it was five girl giraffes, and they were, like, eating off one bush. And I was like, it is 
it's just so cute. Are they gossiping? You know, but it's yeah. just too much human emotion, whatever. There's like a new giraffe at the LA Zoo and they're going to, they haven't named it yet. It's like two or three months old and they still haven't named it. And I was like, oh, do, they have to like wait till some like rich donor pays the most amount of money to name it. But apparently there is like a name contest happening and they're figuring out what the name's going to be. But our friend who listens to the podcast, who's dating a zookeeper at that zoo, told us that she submitted one of our friend's kids' like little names that they had, which is super cute. And we'll see if it gets picked. That is cute. Well, so I went to Shane Torres and I go, guess what? I went to the zoo, you know? And he goes, I was at a zoo too and I pet a rhinoceros. And I go, are you fucking kidding me? A rhino? Yeah, he was at, I forgot what state he was in. So I was like, I can't, I guess that's like a cool thing comics can do when they're in town. Like add it to the list of things that we can do. Well, I, yeah, I mean, because like you guys are posting and getting people, getting the zoo in people's brains and stuff. It's good like marketing, let a couple comics pet your zebra and then they'll post about it. Yeah, you but know. being with, like, famous people that get special privileges is fun. Yeah. It was thrilling. But also, so at the show, someone heckled. Did I tell you this? No. So someone was heckling, going, I work at the zoo, I, you know, yelling about the zoo. And then the next day we go to the zoo, we're talking to one of the trainers, or and I don't know if they're called trainers, one of the workers. And she then shyly goes... My sister-in-law screamed yesterday. I'm so embarrassed. And it was... Oh, so it wasn't the... Per it was her going, my sister works at the zoo. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people are... Well, I'm glad she got to... Enough. I'm glad she got to sort of, like, share her apology with you so that you weren't, like, these fucking wild and out zookeepers. Um, well, no, it's all really thrilling. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if, like... I have, a, like, my 16th birthday... I got, you know, a membership to the aquarium. I went to the aquarium in Lincoln Park Zoo all the time. I didn't realize it was rare. But I like art museums. I guess I just like things. I guess when you're traveling alone, you need other things to entertain yeah. you. Yeah, that's for sure. An art, an animal, a movie. You need something. <laughs> I wonder what a Taylor Swift game. did for New Year's. Oh, yeah, a baseball game. <laughs> yeah, I, wonder I guess what... I just like things. Oh, my God. This is like becoming a Taylor Swift podcast. What do you think? Oh, but one of the time things was a fun article. She goes, yeah, people think the first date was me going to his game. Like, that would be psychotic to hard launch on a first date. And I was like, yeah, yeah Taylor, you're like normal. <laughs> and when whatever. Well, you know, to also be way. right next to his mom on a first date, like, that yeah. would be, that's crazy. Like, No, yeah. she said they started talking immediately after the podcast in July. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, yeah, she, like, he, they had him, like, slipped in under the cover of night to some, her house or wherever she wanted to I meet I like him. her being more free. I like her being out and about. I, like, enjoy it more. Well, because the last guy she dated didn't like the attention, right? So now this guy's like, let's get out there. Let's fucking go. Let's no. this fucking is so, go. This is so dated. I bet they're, like, married already or something, and it's Well, <laughs> what if the—oh, my God. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it right now. If they somehow get engaged, like, this holiday, we're going to have to do some kind of emergency episode on our cell phones or something. There's just, like, no way that you're going to have like, keep this in the time machine and all that shit. Like, there's no way. I do get super obsessed about things. I think the Taylor might be a permanent fixture. We don't know. I apologize. I'm sorry I'm a broken record. I'll try to get a new personality soon. <laughs> it's new year. New year, new me. New year, new me. So <laughs> new year, we'll new you. So with that, I'd say happy new year, everyone. I hope you're giving yourself kind, achievable resolutions. Let's not get too crazy. And 
that you're ready to start 2024 off right. I mean, I am terrified for this year because of the presidential election, but I'm trying to put a good spin on it <sighs> and say that we're going to have a, the best year ever. It's going to be the year that Trump lost a second time. Um, so I can't believe it. I can't believe you're bringing this up on January 2nd. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so mad sorry. at you. I'm so sorry. I truly wasn't there <laughs> mentally at all. I am still in the days of full... I know. I, I can't believe you. I know, but that we we have to stay. We have to stay woke. We have to stay on this. We have to postcard. We have to do everything we can. This cannot happen. Um, but listen, uh, we are starting in our episode. We've got a good one for you guys today. There was something going on with my recording equipment or something on this day where my recording sounded weird. So they're using a recording from my Zoom, and it's going to sound a little bit different. Just in case you're like, why does Kara sound weird? You could don't have to send us the DM. We're telling you now. Okay, so now let's get to this week's episode. Okay, we are finally getting around to doing an episode from the most recent season, season 24. We are doing Breakwater, episode five, which came out in October of last year. And of course, you know that if we're going to hit the most recent season, we're going to do the one about the most powerful lifeguard in New York. So we open on an indoor pool. A girl is swimming through that water. Lisa, you could probably comment on her stroke and her speed because I'm not a big swimmer. She seems like she's going fast to me. I don't uh, remember the stroke. I'm sorry. You really put me on the spot and I no, do that's not remember. Okay. No, you're just like a swim team <laughs> gal, but like... Yeah, no, the pool looks great. I could smell the chlorine in my like, you know, I was I was brought back there, but I could I did not judge her stroke, unfortunately. <laughs> um. Well... You, Sorry you to disappoint a, the masses. Were you a lifeguard? No, that's too much work. I was a slide attendant. And so <laughs> I would grab people in an inner tube and like throw them down the slide or in the tube slide. I'd be like, next. And then I taught swim lessons and you got paid more. So these like lifeguards, our lifeguards in the Skokie Park District take it very seriously. And they do like lifeguard games every summer. And they have this like 10 second head thing. Like Skokie Park District is very, I've always been very impressed with their lifeguards. But they got paid worse than me. Like I taught swim lessons and I got paid double than what lifeguards got paid. Damn. And so, and they, it's really hard work and their training and stuff. Like Skokie prides itself on great lifeguarding. No, it's crazy. I mean, I I was a lifeguard for years. I became a certified lifeguard when I was 15 at my summer camp. And I like, it was hard. Like, I thought I was going to fail. Like, they were like having to give me extra. Not because for us, it wasn't about like the swimming fast really thing. We weren't getting timed and stuff like that. It was like getting a spinal injury onto the board and getting it out of the lake. I mean, to train to be a lifeguard in a lake is pretty terrifying because you can't see the bottom at all. So they would basically just randomly once a summer blow a foghorn and we would, everyone that was lifeguard had to run down to the waterfront, stripping their clothes off, form a line and jump into the water and start sweeping, looking for a brick covered in duct tape. Like we had to find the smallest, darkest object. And it was so like everybody, people would be crying afterwards. Like it was just like terrifying because they never told you if it was real or fake. You know, it was just like, get down there. We didn't know if we were looking for a kid or the brick. So it was very traumatizing. 
But I've always thought beach lifeguards are like, oh my God, that's like the ultimate because that's like a current you're moving against and like that's, you know, all kinds of different shit. Sharks, I don't even fucking know. But like, Well, it's just, I was raised on Baywatch and yeah. I think a lot of America was. So they agree with you. We love an yeah. ocean lifeguard. <laughs> we like, love it. I mean, to me, that's like you're not letting some 15-year-old girl who's like kind of got the spinal down and maybe isn't doing the right taps of her CPR at the right like rhythm, you know, like I, but yeah, I, but I've also been to a hotel pool where the lifeguard's really slouchy and has his cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and the yeah, signs yeah. are like, we don't really care. Yeah. But well, I, you know, you've been, been to my pool with me that I go to where famously there are no lifeguards and the children are just running amok. So um, <laughs> yeah. I, but like, I remember it's cool that you even got paid, like, they keep talking about in this episode how lucrative it is. For me, it was like a badge of honor. Like people just, it was cool to get your lifeguarding and then you did not really get paid more. Like maybe when we got well, older, camps, you got paid a hundred more a summer for being a lifeguard. Well, camp's different, but also these are young, like as these are teens and these are early 20 yeah. somethings. So for them, like as a teen, if you're, I mean, we'll see, this is like updated, yeah. but if you're getting like, Mon you know, if you're not working at a Dairy Queen, it's like cool. Yeah. You're a lifeguard, you're in the sun, bathing suit, you're assuming everyone's in great shape, hanging out. Like it's exciting. Like for a youth, what's more cool than being a tanned, sexy lifeguard? Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's like the dream. But too scary for me at the beach. Like I would not be able to do it at the beach. But and the salt, I, and you can't see anything. Yeah, and I got recertified. I would get recertified at home, like, in a pool. And I was like, this seems a lot easier. Because we would have to get a spinal board out of a lake, like, up onto the dock. It was, like, it was it was a lot. I, lifeguarding was, like, traumatic for me. But back to the episode. I'm just saying I know where these people are coming from. They're trying to qualify to be lifeguards. This girl gets to the end of the, of the lap, and this guy is coaching her. He seems happy with her performance. She gets out. He hands her a towel and goes, cover yourself up. Like, he's shirtless, but he's like, okay, here, cover yourself up. So an older guy goes, nice swimsuit. It's literally just a plain one piece, uh, but she does have a very hot bod, so this already feels like it's heading in an SVU direction. Um, and he asks her name, and it's Martina Rodriguez. She's the little sister of the guy who was telling her to cover up. His name is Diego. Um, the older man makes a comment about Diego bulking, bulking up and he goes, yeah, I'm taking jujitsu. And then the older guy turns the combo back to the sis and he's like, yeah, I haven't seen your times yet, but you look like a real fish in that pool. So you're already getting like lecherous vibes. Like, why are you talking like that? And like, I don't know, it's creepy. So this character's name is Paul Greco and he's played by James Carpinello, who is also in the episode Pop, which if you will remember is the Drea DiMatteo episode where her son is getting bullied or he gets like maybe murdered. And then she's like, oh, it's his school bully that did it. And then this guy plays the uncle who's like training the school bully to fight. This is not what I'm as familiar with. I'm sure we'll do it someday. Drea, call us. Anyway, a guy named Ronnie shows up and he's like, all right, everybody gather around. We're doing CPR. All these wannabe lifeguards gather around. Greco's like, have you seen the CPR dummy? I, I can't find it. And he's like, no. So he's like, I'm going to need a volunteer. Oh, who does he pick? Hot, young, wet Martina, the little sister, has her bet, like get down on the ground. The brother looks a little bit concerned, but the CPR lesson seems pretty normal. Like we don't see him touch her body or anything, but she's like lying on the ground and there's plenty of people around. So in the next scene, Greco walks into his office and tells Ronnie to call Rodriguez's sister in. 
Ronnie gets up from truly the first desktop computer ever invented. It's like a 1988 <laughs> Apple. And um, he goes to go get her. Martina shows up. We know the drill. He goes, close the door. Uh, and then he tells her she did great with CPR, but her times were not quite there. She's on the bubble. And he, she's like devastated. Like, I'm not going to qualify. He's like, relax. I'm going to let you do it again. But who's been training you? And she's like, my brother. And he's like, well, that's the problem. He's going too easy on you. So then he sits down, gets right at like a vagina level with her and starts moving her hips while she does like strokes in the air. And he's like, see, you're too flat in the water. You got to really move your hips. So she doesn't seem bothered by it, but as SVU watchers, we're like, oh God, what the fuck is going to happen? Cut to Martina walking out of the office, looking upset. Um, and her brother's like, what were you doing in there? And she goes, Greco wanted to go over my scores. And then Diego sees Greco come out onto the pool deck, immediately rushes him, knocks him down, starts punching at him. And he's like, if I see you near her again, I'll kill you, bro. So that's dramatic because she didn't, she had like tears in her eyes, which I don't know because he said he was going to help her. So I don't really know why she's crying. But at their house over dinner, Diego is pounding beers and his sister is like, what is your deal, bro? She's like, "It nothing happened. Like he was just trying to help me pass. And now he probably won't after you attacked his ass. And then the mom gets home and she's like pissed that he's drinking. They argue, he walks out. So now we're at the precinct and Finn is asking Rollins, like, what are your plans for the night? And she's like, I'm going to go put the girls down and then eat my feelings on the couch and wait for, for Carisi to come over. It's like, okay. Finn's like, uh, you guys don't live together yet? And she goes, he has a drawer. And keep in mind, they get married four episodes from now. <laughs> he has a drawer in this episode and they're not living together. Um, so, but, you know, he's Catholic. Um so Finn says, it seems like a waste of gas. And then he gives Rollins a little get, um, gift. And it's like, I can't tell if it's just a charm or if it's like a little keychain, but it's a bullet. And Rollins is like, a bullet? And he's like, it's the same caliber of the one that you got shot with. And she got shot in the first episode of the season. And that's when she has like the breakdown with Liv about being too loose with her life because of her kids. And then that they're sort of teeing her up to leave SVU. So anyway, Finn's like, you got to own your trauma or your trauma will own you. And it's like, put it on a decorative piece of driftwood. Baby, he's so good. He's so quotable. Liv shows up and is like, hey, we got a call from the one one. You guys want to take it? And then Finn tells Rollins, like, you head out. I'll get it. And Rollins is like, nah, I'm in, but I'm driving. I guess she's like, I'd rather solve crimes than go eat my feelings and watch like... A, a UFC fight, which is probably what she's doing. Um, the uni, uh, when they get there, explains that they picked up Diego, drunk and starting fights, saying something about a run-in with his sister. And it's like, you guys called SVU based on that? Like, what happened? Like, what did he say that would make you, like, have to call SVU? It seems like a weak connection, but fine. Diego's in a holding cell. He's wasted. He's saying how his when his dad was dying, he promised he'd take care of his sister and protect her. And they're like, protect her from who? And he's like, Paul Greco, the head of the lifeguards. And Finn's like, so did he rape your sister? And he goes, no, he raped me. Twist, credits. Oh, y'all wanted a twist? There it is. So at the precinct, Rollins and Finn tell Diego that his arrest was voided that's powerful of them. They got him food. I guess he was just drunk. It was like drunk and disorderly, but um, they got him food. They want to talk to him. And they're like, you told us your, oh, this is the next morning, by the way. Like he's sobered up at this point. You told us your boss sexually assaulted you. And he's like, no, 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 I was wasted. He, he's going after my sister. 
And then he tells them the whole story about the pool the day before. Um, and he's like, she doesn't see Greco for who he really is. And so then we see Martina show up outside the room screaming, where's my brother? Like, everybody blows into SVU going, where's my wife? Where's my brother? Like they're, again, no receptionist. No one's doing crowd control. And he's yelling, I told you not to come here. And he's like, just tell her I'm all right. Everything's good. And then, so Rollins goes to take care of Martina and Finn's trying to have a one-on-one with Diego, like about what's happening. He's still denying it. But then he's like, he opens up to Finn because how could you not? Uh, and he's like, I heard lifeguards make a ton. I needed money for college. I apply. Greco brings me to his, his office, says I don't qualify. Meanwhile, we're talking to the sister and Rollins. She's like, I left his office in tears because I didn't qualify. And then my brother went into roid rage and she doesn't even get why her brother is there. Back to Diego. He goes, one day Greco tells me that he only gave me the job because of my... And he doesn't finish, but Finn's like, knows what he's talking about. And he's like, that's before I learned how to fight. That's clearly like why he's taking jujitsu. And he says, Greco forced him on the desk face down and he quote, did it to me is what he says. So after that, he cleaned up. He got all the posts and uh, overtime that he wanted and he never tried anything again. And Diego never told anybody. And he's like, well, you didn't want to warn your sister. And he's like, I thought he was only into guys. Now the gang is giving Captain Liv the download on Chief Greco. He works for the Lifeguard Division of Parks and Rec for Bronx County. He oversees the pools and some of the beaches in the Bronx for the last 10 years. He's got no priors in the system. And this job pays a lot for teens and young 20-somethings, as Lisa was bringing up before. Plenty of overtime. You get paid a lot to sit on the beach. And Liv goes, sign me up. And we know this bitch loves the Bahamas. <laughs> so... Velasco and Muncie are there as well. If you're uh, not, some people don't listen to our podcast that don't watch past season 12. So Velasco is the new cast member uh, who's in the picture at the beginning during the credits. And he's kind of like a, I think he's like Danny Zuko, kind of like a modern, like uh, John Travolta from Greece. And then Muncie is this tomboy. like hot shot tomboy babe who's like, she's still a special guest star. She she doesn't ever make it to full-time regular. Spoiler alert, she doesn't. She leaves at the end of the season. Uh, this is who they were trying to replace Rollins with. And it didn't work because they just thought they could replace one hottie with another. But I think that uh, Kelly Giddish does a lot more than Dick Wolf gives her credit for. So, or maybe no, you just couldn't I afford her. I also wish that Kat Samine and what was yes. her name, Barnes, had another season. Like, yes. I think kicking them out so quick was a mistake. Huge. Especially just like an, a random tomboy. I, I just, it was, it's Kat uncomfortable. Was... Both of them, it's uncomfortable to watch their like accent work. It's really uncomfortable. I don't believe yeah. it. Yeah. I don't believe that they're cops. Like, it's She's just. She's like, Captain, Captain. Uh, you want me to go check it out? Like, yeah, it's like they're, they both have like, she's wearing like, like a platform sneaker too. Like she's, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Well, there is a part of the season and I don't know if it's before this episode or after this episode where Liv goes, go get some other clothes. Like you're dre you dress like a ragamuffin. Like you need to be in like a smart blazer and slacks like I've been since 1999. Um, so anyway, Muncie's there. She's like, I looked into it. Everybody says Greco's friendly, smart, single, has a rep as a player, but nothing about like assault or anything like what Diego is suggesting. So Diego and Martina, she says, are good kids. They're from the project, straight A's. Diego had a big stress reaction when he confessed to Finn. So they don't think he has a reason to lie. Like that would be a really wild thing to just create and make up. But there's no outcry witness. There's no rape kit. Muncie's like, do we keep digging? And Velasco's like, it's kind of a risk if Greco finds out we're onto him. And it's like, yeah, we don't want to tangle with the most powerful lifeguard in New York, right? 
So Liv's like, okay, let's go right to him and see if he blinks. This is the strategy. At the pool, Liv and Finn are talking to Greco, and he's, like, incredulous about Diego's accusation. And they're like, so you didn't do it? And he's like, of course not. He didn't report the physical assault from the day before because he's like, I like the kid. Last year, he was all sweet. This year, he's all jacked up and wants to start fights. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on steroids or something. Finn's like, those muscles are armor. And Greco's, Greco's like, armor for what? And the and Finn goes, you tell me. So he tells them nothing happened with Martina and you can ask my second in command, Ronnie Volpe. He's on duty at the beach right now with Diego. And they're like, you let him come to work? And he's like, look, I care about him. I'm short-staffed. And they're like, but if I assaulted him, he goes, why would I come? Why would he come to work? And he's like, I've never had any sexual contact with Diego of any kind. So now we're at the beach. Muncie and Velasco are talking to Ronnie and he's saying he had to pull Diego off Greco at this fight and that something's happened since last year because Diego's like a different person. And he says, but nothing happened with the little sister. And he goes, so what happened when he showed up for work today? And he goes, well, he looked like shit and he's, I could smell the booze on him. So he's out there swimming laps between the buoys and he says it's Pinsky's rules anytime someone shows up hungover. So put a pin in Pinsky. You're going to get back to who he is. So Muncie and Velasco start taking the world's weirdest walk towards the other lifeguard. They're just walking on the shoreline in jeans. They're getting weirdly close to the water. They can't get their footing because they're trying to do a smooth walk and talk on sand. It's hilarious. And SVU detectives just look weird on the beach. That's like, we haven't seen it a lot and it's weird. And Muncie's like, say what you will about Benson. At least she doesn't make us swim laps. And then they finally get to the end of this awkward sand walk and they get to Pinsky, who I guess is the head lifeguard for that beach. He's twirling his whistle. He looks like a total douche. Velasco's like, uh, are you sure Diego's okay out there? And at that exact moment, like we see Diego start struggling in the water, throwing his hands up. Pinsky starts blowing his whistle and calling Diego's name. And Velasco's like, are you going to go in there and do something? You're a lifeguard. And the guy goes, give it a minute. And... That's not something I don't think a lifeguard should really say. So Velasco takes Let's off his... Let's just see how it pans out. Let's just yeah, see. <laughs> this could go a couple of ways. Uh, so Velasco takes off his leather and his shoes and starts booking it into the water in full denim. This did remind me, I did delete TikTok off my phone, but for a while I was getting shown, it was like people trying to take photos near the ocean where they shouldn't and then the water kind of like snatching them or like someone jumping in thinking they're going to have fun and then all of a sudden they're in like a current in the rocks and I'm like why is my phone showing me horrors that I oh didn't think of yet you know but it's just like people trying to take cool photos and do fun jumps and then the ocean's like go fuck yourself yeah. and then I learned don't turn your back on the ocean I guess that's like a big th saying I didn't know like because you can't see the waves so people like turn around to take a selfie and then they get knocked down and dragged yeah well no. because I also started sending, there's like a boat that goes from Argentina to um, Antarctica. And I started sending it to our friend Julia. And she goes, that's when I knew you really hit TikTok because everyone's been talking about Antarctica for about a year. <laughs> and I had just... <laughs> And I had just gotten a part of the... I'm like, should we do this when we're older? And she's... <laughs> but, so we funny. We play with penguins. But the, the boat is crazy. Like, I've told you about this. It's like a two-day journey, but like sometimes the waves are like 30 feet engulf everything. And so people get really sick on this journey. But then you do see the penguins. I don't so, think I could do it. I don't think. But I what if you that. just take Dramamine, Xanax, and pass out for two days? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, drug me up. 
And then you wake up just with a penguin. Yeah. Could happen. Sure. <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted with that, but it's just, it reminds me It seems the like ocean. it's probably a lot of money for a cold vacation. You know, I like to pour my money into hot vacations. So I don't know, but let's stay in touch yeah. about it. It's more of an adventure <laughs> than a vacation, I would sure. say. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, Definitely a life experience. It's something I would do in my 50s, I'm sure. That's what I mean. Um, like, yeah. I don't need to do yeah. it. Like, first, I'd like to go to the Seychelles. You know, I have other goals. Yeah. <laughs> the Seychelles, Bali, something. What's the other one? Where's the one where I always. The Maldives. Think of, the Maldives. Yep. That's what I was thinking of. You got it. So. The other lifeguard, Frankie, starts running into the water with his Baywatch buoy to help. And fucking Pinsky is still standing there doing absolutely nothing. People are like yelling, Diego, Diego, Diego. The music intensifies. Uh-oh, not good news. Top of act two, Diego is unconscious on a stretcher and the paramedics are taking him off the beach. And Velasco's like, you think he's got a chance? And Muncie's like, dude, they just did CPR on him for 30 minutes. Like... You know, it's like they probably got his heartbeat back going, but like your brain can't survive that much like unconsciousness, I feel. Maybe I'm not, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it's not looking good. Velasco's like, I just watched a kid drown. And Mun Muncie's like, you didn't, that lazy scumbag did. And then the camera whips over to Pinsky, who's talking to another cop, making excuses. He's like, I observed a rip current and I feared for my life and safety. And then Velasco gives him a dirty look. So now we're at the precinct. Finn gets the call. Diego did not make it. So this is tragic. And Finn and Liv and Rollins all agree that Diego was being taught a lesson and it wasn't about being hungover. Finn thinks that means that the allegation is credible, but how can we make it stick now that like our only witness is dead? And they're like, well, there's no way that this guy's only struck once. He's a predator. He's been in this job for 10 years. We got to find the other victims. So at the Rodriguez house, the mother is like tearfully telling them about it's how much... It's sad. I didn't want him yeah. to die. I know, I know. I thought they could at least like have him in a coma for most of the episode and then he wakes up at the end. I don't know. But, you know, we have to have stakes. So they wouldn't have kept looking into it if this hadn't happened. So at the Rodriguez house, the mom is like tearfully telling... Finn and Rollins, how much Diego loved swimming, that it healed him after his father died. Martina tells her mom, go lie down so she can talk to the cops. And she tells Finn and Rollins, I drove Diego to work this morning and he confessed the whole assault to me, but he didn't want our mom to ever know. And they're like, okay, well, like, you know, Greco offering to help you with your time and stuff, that's called grooming. Is there anyone else you might know who he could have done that to? And she goes, I think I might know someone. So now they're at the apartment of Daniela Cruz. She's very pretty with thick bangs. And she heard about Diego. She's like, I know him from the neighborhood. He was my first love and I was his first love. And she's like, and I guess his last, dark. She immediately knows that they're there about Paul Greco. And they're like, oh, so did he mention his attack? And she's like, what are you talking about? They were so close. He saw him like a father figure. And they're like, well, then why did you know we were here about Greco? And she's like, oh, because Greco raped me. And she never told Diego, but she suspected he knew about it. She wanted to be held at that time, but Diego wouldn't even touch her. And that's why she broke up with him. And she thought he was just being loyal to Greco. But Muncie's like, it's actually more likely that the same thing happened to him. And that's why he was unable to comfort you. And Daniela was like, I thought Greco was just into girls. So this guy's a bisexual offender. And that's probably what's making him harder to catch, I guess. I don't know. 
She explains how Diego pulled strings and got her to interview when she got laid off. He had to qualify her privately, took her into the office, and pinned her down. She's like, I had no business being a lifeguard anyway. I can barely swim. I I don't even know why you show up and try to qualify. But she says she reported it to the precinct in the Bronx, and they're like, did you do a rape kit? She goes, yeah, but they never called me back. And so at the pool, Greco is caressing the flip-flopped foot of what looks like a 15-year-old girl as Liv and Finn show up. And and Finn goes, pool's closed. And Liv arrests Greco for Daniela's rape. He has no idea who that even is. And Liv goes, well, she knows you. So then we open up with Greco in court, still in his little lifeguarding jacket, which has to be kind of embarrassing to stand in court with your lawyer, just like wearing a little zip-up lifeguard jacket. And his lawyer, I had to do like a double take because his lawyer is named Sandy Braun and he's played by Jason Kravitz and he's giving me Michael Kostroff vibes. And then I type that in, right after I typed that into my notes, I scrolled down in the SVU wiki and saw that there was a trivia item that says, it is possible he's related to Evan Braun, who is Michael Kostroff's character, due to them sharing the same surname and job, as well as both looking similar in appearance. So, you know, interesting. Could be brothers. Sandy Braun, this character, also defended the kid in the ballad of Dwight and Irina, the guy who kills his mom's abusive boyfriend by, like, putting a hairdryer in the tub or something. It's the Ricky Lindholm episode. So he's been in an episode before. Carisi requests $75,000 bail as this man has the means to flee. And Sandy argues he's a respected civil servant with no record. The judge goes for it and grants ROR. Carisi and Benson uh, are doing what I'm calling a chit-chat and chill. It's an alt for walk and talk. I'm just testing it out. And everyone wants this case settled. Uh, this doesn't look good for the city to have the most powerful lifeguard in New York on trial. And McGrath is on Liv's ass about it, et cetera, et cetera. It's like one of these ones, they just want to get it kind of wrapped up. They get interrupted mid-convo by Assemblywoman Diane Garcia. She wants to put in a good word for Greco. This is how powerful this lifeguard is. He's got politicians on his side. He's a good guy. And she says, so there's definitely no way he's a sexual predator. That's just how the real world works, you know? And she goes, I just think you should think about it before you ruin a respected city official's reputation and put the city in danger of civil litigation. And then she just kind of like stocks off. And it's like, on this show alone, there have been so many civil servants arrested. Like, nobody is innocent because <laughs> yeah, they have a government point, job. By this point, there was a whole sex ring of judges and legislators yeah. that were carried on the courtroom steps. Like, yes. what? Yeah, like, remember Paget Brewster? She was fully involved in a sex... <laughs> yeah. In a, in a prostitution ring. So anyway... Carisi explains that this woman who's just gone to bat for the lifeguard oversees judge appointments, bail reform, court procedure, and the DA's budget. So she's important. And then they go, how much you want to bet Greco's a campaign contributor? He's a lifeguard. I don't understand how important he can be. How much could he be contributing to a political campaign? That's where you lost me. Like most powerful lifeguard. I was there, I was there. And then it's like, he's a major donor. What? Like, and they keep talking about his political clout throughout the episode. And I'm like, as a lifeguard? I, I mean, I know he's the head lifeguard, but it's 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 wild. So Liv says, Daniela's rape kit came back and boom, it's a match. And guess what? The Bronx SVU has not been helpful. They don't do anything by the book, especially their SVU. At this point, I don't even know if we've met Kevin Kane's character yet because he's Bronx SVU, but... Maybe they're maybe they're teasing it, like how they're going to start interacting more. Because I know in in past episodes, I believe Annabella 
Shiora, the actress, is the head of the Bronx SVU. But, and they, you know, butt heads or whatever. But it's wild because I guess his DNA wouldn't be in the system as a civil servant, just his fingerprints. So yeah, I was wondering why they wouldn't have matched the rape kit, but it wouldn't have been DNA. So at Well, the grand, and they probably didn't want to. There's been tons of more shady shit with the Bronx there, you know? Yeah, because also she would have given his name. She knows who he is. It wasn't like it was a random stranger attack. Because there was that case where there was all these underwear on clothing lines. And yeah. like That's they a were, gang. That's the gang. And then it was, wasn't it the DNA stuff? Like going into rape victims' DNA was now the, the Bronx with Orfe? With Orfe? Is she Bronx or is she Queens? I think she's Queens. Oh. Yeah, but, you know, everybody besides Manhattan SVU is garbage. Yes, That's yes, basically yes, the bottom yes. line. So at the grand jury hearing, it's five minutes till it starts. And uh-oh, the classic SVU trope, the witness is nowhere to be found. Daniela has not shown up. Rollins calls it, calls her phone. It goes right to a beep. No voicemail. You don't see that a lot. But she um, she goes, I'll send Muncie and Velasco over to check on her. At Daniela's apartment, she's like, sorry, I didn't tell anyone, but I'm out. I can't testify. My father's on parole. Greco must have gotten to his PO because he threatened to have my father violated. Like, and I don't think that means violated, like attacked. I think it means like that have him like framed for violating his, his parole. And it's like, this guy has ends with parole officers? He's a lifeguard. I don't get it. We can all, we can get this all straightened out, they tell her. And she's like, look, I can't risk my dad going back to Rikers. Like, sorry, no go. And Velasco goes for the heartstrings about Diego dying in his arms. And she's like, I hate Greco, but Diego's dead. Nothing will bring him back. I have to protect my dad. Slams the door in their faces. So at court, Greco walks in with his smarmy lawyer to meet with Carisi and Benson. And he's like, heard you lost your only witness. And they're like, yeah, you, your client used political clout to threaten her. Greco's like, what are you talking about? They're like, you want us to open a witness tampering case? Because we're also looking into Diego's death. And Greco stops his lawyer from talking and goes, I am devastated by Diego's death. Any drowning is a tragedy, but a lifeguard, that's a supervisor's worst nightmare. And Benson's <laughs> like, Benson's like, but a 19-year-old is dead because of your sorry ass. And he denies giving that order. And Greco says, I'm not the monster you think I am. I've devoted my career to saving lives, not destroying them. And Liv goes, men like you become so good at lying, they even start believing the ones they tell themselves. And then there's a stare down between a captain of a police squad and a head lifeguard. And she, uh, he walks off and Liv's like, we cannot let this guy back on the job. But now the rape case is out. What are we going to do? And then... They're kind of spitballing. Carisi's like, if Greco knowingly hired underqualified lifeguards in exchange for sex, we might have a manslaughter case. So let's find out how many drownings happened at that beach with lifeguards that Greco qualified. So in the next scene, Rollins is standing next to a huge smart board with, let, let me tell you, quite a few people have drowned at this beach. It's nine people. Diego makes the 10th. All of them drowned at Jonas Bronk Beach, who Jonas Bronk is who the Bronx are named after. I didn't know that. It's like an old historical figure that the Bronx are named after. Um, but this is not a real beach. And the sleuths on Twitter noticed that you can see the Verrazano Bridge in the background, plus a bunch of other clues. And so this was actually filmed at Midland Beach on Staten Island, if you're a New Yorker and you're interested in this kind of trivia. Anyway, all nine of these people drowned while lifeguards that Greco qualified were working. They all had no risk factors, like no drugs, no intoxication. So that's not good. I don't know what the time period is, but 
And he's been there 10 years, so it's at least in the last 10 years. There are also headshots of lifeguards on the board. One is Diego, one is Greco, one is Frankie, one is Pinsky, who we've met, and then there's three others who have all lawyered up, and they're all loyal to Greco. Greco. So they're like, well, what about Frankie, the guy who takes the times? Maybe he faked some of them. If Greco's up for manslaughter, why don't we let this kid know that if he's helped and he's an accomplice, that he's fucked too? So now we're in interrogation, and it's cement bars, so they're not fucking around with these lifeguards. They're laying out photos of the drowning victims, and Frankie is like, manslaughter? Like, he's panicking. He's like, I tried to help Diego. Like, he thinks he's in there because they're going to charge him for manslaughter for not rescuing Diego. But Velasco and Finn are like, no, 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 no. This is about the lifeguards and Greco fixing their scores. And they're like, what about Pinsky? You took his timing. Did Greco have you fix his score? And Frankie's like, look, I came in to talk to you guys because I feel sick about Diego, but maybe I need to get a lawyer. And they do the whole thing where they're like, okay, you get a lawyer. We can't help you. And he's like, dudes, I took this job for the college money and to meet babes. I am not an accomplice to shit. And he says, Greco changed the scores. He goes, I didn't notice it at first, but he'd write down, I'd write down the scores. And then when I went to put them in the system, I saw that they'd change by a few seconds here and there. So I started taking pictures of them on my iPhone and he didn't report it because he likes his job. So then Carisi's like, if he knowingly hired lifeguards for sexual favors and those lifeguards resulted in drownings, that's depraved indifference to human life. That's murder too. And Liv goes, take him down. And there's a dramatic music sting, which we love. So when we come back from commercial... Carisi's questioning a witness named Anna Callis. She's an investigator for the New York Department of Health. They investigate drownings at public beaches. She identifies the 10 victims whose photos are being shown to the courtroom um, as victims who have drowned during Greco's tenure with a lifeguard attempt. All the lifeguards were qualified and hired by Greco. Then his lawyer was like, and all of these drownings were ruled accidental, right? No lifeguard incompetence. And she goes, yeah, but that's beyond my purview. And, you know... He's like, no more questions. You know, like we kind of cut her off. So now they have the last most powerful lifeguard in New York City, a guy who served as the chief lifeguard for 25 years before retiring. And he's evaluated thousands of rescue cases, most of them successful. Carisi's going through some of the cases that, that were on Greco's watch. And he's like, like, how about this 14-year-old boy who drowned in calm, flat water? And the guy said that never would have happened with a qualified lifeguard. I can't believe they're even like allowing this line of questioning because... You can't really say what would or wouldn't happen with a different lifeguard, but I, I kind of, I can't believe there's not, they're not objecting. Another case where the guard was on his phone, which slowed the rescue, he said again, uh, would not have occurred with a qualified lifeguard, as if all no qualified lifeguard has ever looked at their phone to check a text. Another case where the lifeguard no, headed into the I water. Agree. You know, if you are a good lifeguard, you would not be checking your phone. No, you wouldn't. But it's just, it's like to act like this is all part of a conspiracy. Like these are teens in early 20s. Like I do think it's possible for there to be like human errors, you know? I think this guy's a piece of shit. Don't get me wrong. And this line of questioning is just, as a lawyer myself, having graduated from SVU, I would be objecting. Um, so... Uh, there was another case where the lifeguard headed into the water and then turned around. And then they get the camera on Pinsky, who basically did that to Diego. And he's in the gallery and he's, his face looks nervous. He looks a little pukey. And now Frankie Volpe is on the stand. This is Greco's like right-hand guy. He's on the stand talking about how he records the times, but he came to realize that Greco sometimes changed the times. He took screenshots on his phones of all of his initial timings. All four of the lifeguards in question had times that did not qualify them. So that's Pinsky plus the three headshots of lifeguards that we never meet. Greco changed them, and then he said he requalified them, meaning Frankie says, 
He had sex with them or they had to give him 10% of their salary. He called it pay or lay. Frankie knows this because Greco told him that when he confronted him and he recorded the entire conversation on his cell. Frankie, you could have gone to the authorities a lot earlier. You have so much evidence saved on that little phone of yours. And it's like, <laughs> let's get him into the SVU. He is really a detective. He's got screenshots. He's got combos. So obviously, Carisi plays the combo in court. And he's like, we hear Greco being like, hell yes, yeah, she requalified on her knees. You want to crack at her too? So immediately it's like, case is over. This guy's disgusting. We know what's up. And now it's Sandy's turn. And he goes, so you knew about the scores being changed and you said nothing? And Frankie's like, yes, but with deep regret. And then Sandy cuts him off and goes, did that regret come after or before you were offered a deal in exchange for your testimony? Which they always love to point out um, that people are possibly you know, giving false testimony for a deal. So cut to late night at Carisi's office and, you know, Amanda slinks in like, hey, babe, you going to be working late? And she's like, you know, I saw tears with the jury. So I think you are getting to them. Like, so you're doing great. And he's like, you slept like a baby last night. First time in a while that you didn't wake up. And then she shows him the bullet charm and says, maybe Finn should be a shrink after he retires, which I love that. And he tells her he's going to be late because Greco's on the stand tomorrow. They have a little smooch and she's like, you got this. Back in court, Greco is on the stand saying his job takes discipline and integrity. Like how, how do you even put this man on the stand after the phone call? We just heard him talking about like fucking people for, uh, assaulting people for, you know, kickbacks or whatever the fuck he's doing. And then you get him on the stand and have him talk about integrity. Like, what's going on? Again, Sandy, I'm a better lawyer than you. I wouldn't put him on the stand. He says he's a man of integrity, but he also admits to having sexual involvements with lifeguards underneath him, all consensual, still would be sexual harassment. Like, still would not be, like, if there's a power dynamic imbalance, it's not okay. Um, he says he's never hired someone unfit for the job, but even the most experienced guards can lose a swimmer. And Carisi asks him if he loses sleep and his lawyer objects, but the judge allows it. And she does look familiar. She is a judge in two episodes this season, plus she's in the episode Crush and the episode Complicated, but I didn't really look up her parts, but she's an SVU queen. Uh, Greco says, I'm understaffed. My budget is cut. It gets worse every year. People drunk on the beach, people with no business getting in that water. Then we need to get in and risk our lives. And Carisi's like, but that's your job. Like, and then this guy goes off into a monologue and he goes, look at you in your suit and tie. You have no idea what it's like to have people's lives in your hands, do you? People don't think about it. The ocean is a wilderness. Men like me are the breakwater. The only barrier between a fun day at the beach and some out-of-shape, stupid person becoming part of the food chain. It's IQ points and common sense most of the time. And they're like, so did you send Diego into the water because he but lacked common sense? It's also funny to say this to Carisi, who was an officer. So yeah. he knows about it pretty well. We've seen him do a one-handed pull-up and get himself <laughs> up and save girls that were being trafficked, okay? He's helped save lives. So he goes, so did you send Diego into the water because he lacked common sense? And he goes, Diego was a drunk who showed up showed up hungover. And Carisi's like really laying into him. So you gave the order for him to swim laps in a riptide. And his lawyer tries to object, but Greco goes, you're damn right I gave that order. And you cannot tell me that the fucking showrunner of the show does not have a boner for the movie A Few Good Men because this is ripped right out of A Few Good Men from the scene of, you can't handle the truth. Like it's the same fucking thing. Did you give the order? Did you order the code blue? It's the same fucking thing. Everyone in the courtroom is stunned that Greco's just admitted to this. And Greco says, I didn't know. He goes, 
yeah, I gave the order, but I didn't know there'd be a rip anymore that I wanted that kid dead. So like he admits that he was making the kid like kind of get punished, but not that he wanted him dead. Um, And he's like, that beach and all the lives on it are my responsibility, all mine, my ass on the line. I'm the boss. I'm the boss and all my lifeguards know it. He's such a little boy, this man. So Yeah, but if you are taking responsibility, then you're guilty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And that's it. Great. (laughs) Done and dusted. Yeah. So at this point, we see Pinsky, the little douche guy, get up and leave the courtroom, which is kind of a big move. Like, the courtroom is quiet and silent, and he's, like, up and leaving. So then... Liv tells Velasco, figure out what's going on with Pinsky. So Velasco approaches him and he's like, my lawyer says I shouldn't talk to you and I will not be following his advice. Like he immediately starts talking. (laughs) Velasco asks why he's been showing up to court and he goes to show support for Greco. He made it clear we all needed to show up. And he didn't, but I don't see the other lifeguards. Like there's like a girl lifeguard on that board. I don't see her in the gallery, but maybe they just couldn't pay for the extra that day. So he didn't know Diego was going to go under. He was a strong swimmer. He goes, are you? He goes, I'm all right, but that's not why I didn't go in. And he goes, Greco told me not to, no matter what. And it's like, how much does lifeguarding pay? Like your boss tells you to let somebody drown no matter what. And you're like, gotta make that 24 an hour. Like it it is really wild. And he's like, I should have gone in. It's like, yeah, you should have. Velasco's like, what does he have on you? And then Pinsky's struggling to tell him. And Velasco's like, whatever it is, it's not your fault. We know what he did to other guys. And so he's like, okay, he's got pictures of me and him and a couple of other guys doing stuff, quote unquote. He goes, and if I didn't do what he said, he was going to show them to everyone. He's right what he said in there. He's the boss. He's got all the power because you know he is the most powerful lifeguard in New York. That might be the last time I get to say it. But so then Velasco goes, so take it back. Okay. So now in a private conference room combo, it's Greco, his lawyer, and Carisi. And Greco's like, that Pinsky punk is lying. And his lawyer is like trying to cool things down. But Greco's like, what am I paying you for? And Sandy's like, to tell you when to shut the fuck up because you have lost. And Greco is cocky as hell. And he's like, the jury's never going to convict. If they do, I'll appeal. Because like, that is the kind of guy this is. It's like, they have you on tape saying that you fucked girls like that were that were underneath you and that you were holding something over them. Like, we have you on, we have you in the courtroom saying you ordered this kid to swim laps, like, and what led to his death. Like, and he's still like, I'll just appeal. That's something I think people with money do. They go, I'll just appeal. Because in a lot of cases, I think you can just appeal until it fucking goes away. But- it's wild this the 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 cockiness on this man. Like he has like terminal competence and entitlement. And so Carisi's like, dude, it's over. The political clout you bought has run out with your massive political donations. Pinsky has the photos you used to blackmail him. Like, yeah, I mean, if you knew that the photos are out there, why are you so confident? And Carisi's like, I'm giving you the chance to serve time without everyone knowing the truth about you. And he goes, oh yeah, what's that? And he goes, that you're a manipulative little big man. I don't really get that insult. I feel like we could have done better with a little pitch session in the writer's room. That you're a manipulative little big man with a fiefdom built on sand and it's all coming down. I do like the fiefdom built on sand because it works on two levels. It's like the beach, you know. And then the lawyer is like, what's the offer? Um, so now back at the precinct, Liv hangs up the phone with Carisi and lets the gang know that Greco's going to plead guilty to 10 counts of manslaughter. All of that so that it doesn't come out about the sexual stuff. And 
yeah, he was really fucked. He had nowhere to go. Um, Finn points out that consecutive sentences would put him in jail till he's 70. So then Liv tells Velasco and Muncie, good job, guys. And they're like, we're going to go tell Martina. And then Velasco mentions there's a memorial on the beach for Diego. And Liv's like, well, I will not be attending, but please send my condolences. And then Liv's like, Velasco, you lost someone. And it's easy to take that personally. So you feel sorry, but not for yourself. You did everything right. And then he thanks her and she's like, I mean it. And then, you know, she gives her signature sort of like terse stare as they walk out. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. This is, you know, a wild season. I've said it before on the podcast. It just like, it used to just be, this could have been an interesting episode. I didn't really think that we needed to like have there be like a councilwoman and like parole officers being called and stuff like that. Like we didn't have to make, like this whole season is all about crimes involving the most powerful people in New York. Like there's a soccer player episode. There's a lifeguard. There's a um, woman who's like a big real estate person. There's like, everybody's the most powerful person in New York. And I'm like, God, back in the day, it was just any Tom, Dick, or Stanley who showed up in New York and had a problem. They could call SVU. And now it's like they're, feels like they're like the personal police of the rich and powerful. The concierge. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a hokey, silly thing, you know, lifeguards, but it is based on real crimes. It is. Yeah. It is. And here we are. And I cannot wait to hear you talk about it. So listen to our messages and we'll be right back. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. This episode is based on two crimes. One is based in the Chicago Park District. It's a sex abuse scandal in the early 2000s in Chicago at lakes that I have been to, at beaches I was there. So apparently, I had no clue. You know, I'm more of a Skokie girl, but the aquatics department in Chicago (laughs) had a misogynistic, toxic, and abusive culture that has pervaded them for decades, but unbeknownst to the young victims that just wanted to be lifeguards. You know, just young, fun teens that wanted to be tan and 
cool. Like yeah. as a kid, I looked at the lifeguards as cool. When I went to the beach, like I, I it's Baywatch. I mean, Baywatch. And Baywatch. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Baywatch they were like the really made people. I mean, yeah. Nicole Eggert from Charles in Charge, so gorgeous. Pamela Anderson, Yasmin Bleeth, Carmen Electra. I mean, it was like every Maxim babe was on that fucking show. And the men were yeah. hot. The men were hot too. I mean, who were the men? Yeah, who cares? I think it's like a lot of now Republicans, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so young women, you know, like on the show, it's their first jobs. They're coming in. They want to make friends, experience camaraderie, get nice paychecks. You get to work in the sun, sand, water. But instead, they were truly preyed upon their male, by their male supervisors with impunity in a workplace that was rooted in um, a culture of sexual harassment and physical abuse. Um, sexual harassment was the norm during this time. It was daily and dealt with in-house. So the park district is responsible for 26 indoor pools, 51 outdoor pools, another 15 pools at schools, and 23 beaches on Lake Michigan. And there's also one inland beach at the Humboldt Park Lagoon, which I never even heard of, but I guess... <laughs> I guess you can swim in a lagoon. Uh, Michael Kelly was the Chicago Park District chief at the time, and it's claimed that he allowed and concealed a pervasive institutional culture of sexual misconduct against female Park District lifeguards. The initial whistleblower to the case said that she tried to complain to the city's top parks officials but was initially brushed under the rug. So early 2020, this woman sent a letter to Kelly alleging serious misconduct by seven supervisors at Oak Street Beach. And she described regular drug use by the lifeguards as well while they were on duty. She wrote that one time a male lifeguard, in quotes, told me that he was so high when he was giving CPR to a man who had just got pulled out of the water. And that's a direct quote from WBEZ. And she said a male lifeguard slammed her into the wall of a guard room and called her misogynistic slurs while he was high as hell. Um, there was like a hazing situation where this woman refused to drink vodka and that led to a lifeguard grabbing her and trying to force a bottle of vodka down her throat. Um, throughout the summer, she said her coworkers called her slurs that became her regular name. There was like an award ceremony where grown-ass men gave teens awards that were like bitch of the beach, slut of the beach. Little Dick, man whore of the beach. And it's hard as a comic and someone who would love to be the bitch of the beach. Yeah, that's tough. And I'd love to it's see someone a- have to get Little Dick. You know, I'd like to see someone accept that award. That's fun. We would definitely be the women that allowed the abuse at the lifeguards <laughs> group. We'd be like, whatever, relax. Bitch of the beach is funny. But... Kelly waited nearly six weeks before four. So this, so this is where it all comes. So then Michael Kelly gets this message early 2020. And he tells this girl, I'm going to report this immediately to the inspector general. He does not. He waits over six weeks um, and to send the letter to the park district's like internal watchdog. Now, if we're talking money and, you know, in the episode, we were like, how is he affording anything? This guy, but he's head of the park district, but he was making 230000 a year. And a lot of these guys were making between 90 and 100 something thousand. 
like 120. I don't think you're making any meaningful contributions to a political campaign with that kind of salary, but yeah, it's (laughs) not nothing. (laughs) It's not nothing. Not in early 2000s. And Chicago, I mean, that's a nice living. I never paid more than $400 in rent when I lived in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I lived in, you know, rooms with people. But anyways, so he said, no, he denies being lax. He's like, I always treated this with the utmost seriousness, but that's not true. And this investigation dragged for 17 months. So like when the woman first wrote to him, she was 17 and she was 19 when this happened. So it's like, I'm sorry, you can't say this was swiftly taken care of. Yeah. When um, she, no. So so he got the email February 7th, 2020. He did not send it till March 19th, 2020. And that only happened because a second female ex-lifeguard sent a complaint of sexual misconduct to Mayor Lori Lightfoot's office. So, I mean, Kelly legit, instead of sending it to the inspector general like he said he would, he sent it to just like the managers within. And he's like, I think it's totally normal to poke around first before like taking it outside the department. Like he just thinks it's not unnormal or like to tell your bosses first. But also like when he finally sent it, is it coincidence that that's like literally when COVID hit? Like March 19th, 2020 is like right when COVID is like truly shutting everything down. So he's like, maybe this will just get buried. Damn. You know? Just a thought. Damn. So the inspector general for the park district at the time is um, Elaine Little. And nobody seemed to be on the same page. So like the inspector general office said that they didn't have the resources it took to take on such a big case. And then Kelly and Lightfoot said, um, no, we do. But then nobody's doing anything. So like they just weren't able to get on the same page. Everyone had an excuse of like why they weren't doing more. So the letter to Mayor Lightfoot stated that she was sexually, it's just funny to think about her because the meme of her stand like really took over the internet but then also Carmen Christopher has a funny joke that like on January 6th or like some sort of tragedy happened and everyone was right or someone had just died like something happened and um everyone was tweeting about the tragedy and she tweeted Chicago's the home of house music <laughs> and and, he, and I just like I just laugh about it. But um, she got made fun of a lot. Okay, so um, my... Is it is the meme just like her making that serious <laughs> face like this? Yeah, yeah but in all different places. Yeah. Um, so the letter to Lightfoot stated that she was sexually assaulted by an employee with a more senior position than her and then learned there was a huge number of such incidences after she told three coworkers about the attack and about the managers mocking her when she tried to speak up. So this letter writer asked her coworkers if they filed reports, and they did, and nothing was done about it. By the end, there were a dozen complaints by workers at the city's pools and beaches, um, horrifying stories of employees experiencing sexual violence, being groped, forcing like each other to make out, and then, of course, threats of retaliation made by supervisors. One woman said she is scared to speak up because the person who attacked her is now an officer at the Chicago Police Department. So the huge investigation didn't happen until April 2021. The evidence showed that there were at least three male lifeguards for that got in trouble for sexual assault, harassment, and retaliatory threats against their subordinates, including one incident involving the sexual assault and attempted rape of a 16-year-old girl. In another instance, investigators found an aquatics department employee sexually harassed two junior female lifeguards and later sexually attacked each of them in public swimming pool locker rooms. 2016 in Portage Park, um, 
at one of their facilities in a women's locker room. One of the claims is that the male lifeguard molested her. He fondled her over her clothes, even as she pushed his hands away and repeatedly pleaded for him to stop. Another woman told the inspector general's office of a similar attack by the same man two years later. Another man was part of the investigation for sexual harassment at a Wells Park, where he supervised 10 lifeguards and worked at the aquatics department for about 10 years. Um, There, three female lifeguards said that he harassed, propositioned, and threatened each of them. And he is a serial harasser. And that's the thing. It's like, these women have um, spoken forward. They, some of them did rape kids. And like, the fact of the matter is nothing was done where it kept happening time and time and time and time again. You know, we talk about this where it's like so many mass shooters and serial killers all do petty crime, petty in quotes, against women, young in age. And like, Oh, and it's always like boys will be boys attitude or like, oh, we don't want to get him in trouble. Oh, this and that. And it's like, it will always escalate. The more you let people get away with it, they, of course, they're going to keep doing more. Why, why would they stop? And the whole department is responsible for any second person that has been assaulted by any of these fuckers. And so five years prior, this motherfucker was fired from Chicago public school lifeguarding jobs when he made inappropriate advances towards high school students. So he got fired. So he was put on the no hire list for the school districts, but I guess that doesn't make it to the park district computers. Make it make sense. Yeah. Fucked up. One woman was sexually abused by her boss at a house party and then had to work with him as her supervisor for two more years. And then, so three female women said that they didn't report because he said, what? Well, three female women is a funny sentence. So these ladies did not report (laughs) because he said the supervisors would take his side and that one said he didn't trust the supervisor because she thought he would tell the lifeguard about the complaints and then there would be more issues to deal with. So then another lifeguard, she worked with the Park District for seven years with assignments at North Avenue Beach, Foster Beach, and um, Wheel... Wheels Park. I don't know if that's a thing. And Portage Park. North Avenue Beach, we were at together when we did Zanies that yeah. one time in the summer. So that's like where we were. Foster Beach, I used to go there. I used to have moon ceremonies. Um, <laughs> like full moon dances that I had been to. So this lifeguard worked there for seven years and he was found that he locked a girl in his car forced her to perform a sex act on her and then attempted to rape her and then threatened her, knowing that she was 16 and he was in his 20s. She then told coworkers about it right away. And then when she started getting threatening texts that made her fear for her and her family's safety, she told her mom and sister about the assault. Her mom wanted to contact the police, but she just wanted it to be done with. So finally, she decided to talk when she heard that a bunch of other women from the park district were already interviewed for the investigation. So that's what kind of convinced her to talk because she was scared and did not want to take this any further. So one time, a lifeguard used police officer handcuffs to shackle her to a tree. Oh, my God. Near the lakeshore against her will and then tickled her while she was confined. I hate that. Yeah. There are so many... tickling is so fucked up. It's so fucked up. And you've obviously seen the documentary about the forced tickling that... I haven't. But I've heard. Wait, about you it. haven't? Wait, what's it called again? It's probably called Tickled, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called Tickled. Yeah, you're right. It's about mysterious tickling competitions, but then he digs deeper and deeper, and then it ends up being like this dude who forces 
not forced, like he has all this footage of these ticklings, but he's like a rich guy that owns everything. It's like wild. It's yeah. this tickle monster who's like um, really into pain. <laughs> who is into uh, what happened to him he's a cultural reporter he's just a rich guy that could sue uh, we have to rewatch it whatever um but th- there's a tickling subculture and then evil people that are involved in it if you want to okay. watch it it's from 2016 called tickled and it's weird you haven't watched it and i think you should yeah i should because it all it's like it goes to the courts and this guy it, it's just this powerful tickling maniac yeah, I'm, like, really, really sensitive about, like, when I'm tickling my kids, if they say stop, I stop, like, right away. Because I just, like, to be tickled when you don't want it anymore is, like, I I hate that. Yeah. And you could die, I think, from the stress. Oh, really? Oh, God. I, well, someone was just telling me a story of, like, this dude accidentally got stuck at his job in, like, a Sub-Zero freezer. And he, when they he was found, he, like, dug so much that is, like like into the ice and stuff and snow that it was all these marks trying to get out but he just died from the stress and actually the the freezer was unplugged and he would have been fine and it, the temperature was warming up but because he was so stressed trying to get out he died of like oh my god something else not like he tricked his body into thinking he had hypothermia but he didn't type of thing. And that's how I think about with tickling. Like, if someone says stop, you just have to. I'll always remember this, like, fucking girl from my school had a little snake, and I don't like snakes, and she, like, chased me around with the snake and would not stop. And it's just like, go fuck yourself. But she had a rough upbringing. So anyways, there's a lot of pools and a lot of beaches. And so it's hard to keep track of all these men and punishments and how things were handled because a lot of names weren't used because WBEZ is local Chicago news and like they can't publish any names until people are fully criminally charged. So a lot of these articles just like don't really have names. Yeah. It's a lot of suspensions. It's a lot of accusations. It's just like a lot. It was huge. You know, I've told you how many beaches and pools there were. But, you know, I'm trying to keep it as straight as possible. So one lifeguard declined to talk to the inspector general's office because he had already resigned from the park district. And so since he didn't work there, he didn't have to be included in the investigation. But it's like, then call the cops. Excuse me? So you quit a job and so they don't have to investigate you? It makes no sense to me. Um, So yeah, he resigned. And he resigned because he was already under investigation and suspicion. And this is according to a report in the case, like to WBEZ. And he is on the do not rehire list which we've seen earlier, does not really work. Yeah. (laughs) So April 2021, WBZ reported that despite the inspector finding that illegal or criminal sexual misconduct likely took place repeatedly, neither the Park District nor its inspector general would reply when asked if they had referred any of the incidents to law enforcement. So they had evidence, but refused to get law enforcement involved. And a spokeswoman for the mayor at the time also declined to comment to WBZ and referred all questions about the investigation to the park district. Um, so no one really wanted to answer to all these lifeguards. So maybe they are all powerful lifeguards. Who fucking knows what's going on? So Mauricio Ramirez um, Humboldt, was a Humboldt Park lifeguard. 
manager. And he was charged with sexually abusing two underage female employees that he had supervised. He was more than 30 years old and was grooming and sexually exploiting underage girls. There was physical evidence against him because his second victim completed a sexual assault kit at the hospital. After a party where the victim was drinking alcohol, Ramirez is accused of driving the girl to a motel, carrying her into a room and sexually assaulting her on the bed. The abuse continued for the rest of the summer and more assaults in the back of his car and in showers and locker rooms happened. Oh, these poor girls. Yeah, he would pick up girls from high school and help them study and do ACT prep and stuff. Like, he is a creep. But he pled guilty, which is awesome because it's also better to get money. It's easier to get money when people plead guilty in civil cases and that the girls didn't have to testify. He legit in court, in quotes, he said, full responsibility for my actions. And that's according to the Chicago Sun-Times. He apologized to his victims in court and said he had nobody to blame but himself. I mean, the bar is set so low. Like I'm like, okay, I'm at least like, he admitted I'm it. I'm like, oh, okay, at least he's taking accountability. I mean... He was sentenced to three years of probation, 40 hours of community service, electronic monitoring, and a lifetime sex offender registry. Hector Cause is 25 and is another lifeguard who was charged with felony criminal sexual assault and aggravated criminal sexual abuse for assaulting a 17-year-old in a locker room in Jefferson Park in 2018. And I think he's the one that, like, left and refused to help the investigation, but they got him. He said he can pleasure one of the girls better than her boyfriend and lock the door in the changing room at the pool and pinned her against the lockers before grabbing her face, fondling her in all of her private areas. And prosecutors also said that he penetrated the girl with his fingers twice, even though she kept telling him to stop. So according to the Cook County lockup, he was booked on May 5th, 2022 and had a court date December 7th, 2023 for bond information. So um, hopefully by the end of this episode, we will have an update on how his court date went and if he's still going to be in jail or not. But that is interesting. So the Chicago Park District ended up paying out more than $1.9 million in legal settlements to three lifeguards. The Sun-Times wrote um, who allegedly, uh, that these lifeguards are who allegedly suffered from sexual misconduct and hazing, but it's not alleged. They wouldn't pay $1.9 million if it was alleged, the Sun-Times. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so the Park District settled three claims in nine months. And guess what? The settlements were expended by taxpayer-funded agency. Damn. I mean, this is like one of my biggest beliefs that I think I think if cops and bark all these people, they need to pay out their own like things. It's like so fucked up that our money goes to pay for crooked employees. It's insane. Yeah. Because I think they would behave a little better if they actually had to pay out of their pockets and pensions. All the settlements include a clause prohibiting the former lifeguards from disparaging the park district. Um, Stephen Blandon, one of the lawyers, said to the Sun-Times, this appears to be a continuing cover-up so that other victims don't come forward. The Sun-Times reported September 2023 that a fourth female ex-lifeguard filed another lawsuit against the park district and a former head of the park district, Michael Kelly, and Humboldt Park District supervisor that was convicted. The case is pending in Cook County. Also, former Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot forced him to resign even though he kept trying to defend how he handled the matter, but whatever. Michael Kelly resigned after 27 years working in the Park District um, in October 2021. Avis Good Lavelle, end. yeah. Avis Lavelle was the president of the Parks Board. She also resigned, but she's a dumb bitch. Anyway, she worked for Mayor Daly and worked at the private parking company that Mayor Daly sold all Chicago public parking to that his cousin owned and gave him a 100-year deal. So this motherfucker on his way out from becoming mayor 
sold all public parking in Chicago to a company. So there's no caps, there's no free Sundays, all hours of the night, like truly... How Fuck is there you. not oversight for that? How is there not like, you can't do that? Like, I don't, it's so crazy. Motherfucker. And, and obviously he owns like a part of the company and this bitch double dipping, working as the president of the parks board and then also at this parking company. So she fucking got let go too. Um, in June 2021, a woman named Julie Tor- uh, Tortorich came forward about her summers as a teen spent as a lifeguard where her supervisor cornered her in a park office and sexually abused her twice. That was in the 70s. So this has been going on for decades. Wow. Um, so at the time of this interview, she is a 60-year-old grandmother of eight, and the recent news brought back a flood of memories. And she wants an apology and recognition that this happened to her. She says she was too young and naive to speak up, and it made her wonder at the time if she did something to provoke her attacker. She said, I didn't even think that it was something that I could say. I was embarrassed that it happened. It was awful. It's crazy, the things that you think when you're a teen. And she's quoted saying that at WBEZ. Another woman came forward saying 15 years ago, a captain took rope and lassoed her, tied her up, and left her on the beach like a calf at the rodeo. They literally had a day called Sexual Harassment Saturdays. Another woman from before said that she remembers two young female guards were brave and made an accusation, and immediately one was asked to leave and the other was moved to another beach. And this is ongoing, and we could see for decades. And if you reacted negatively to being harassed, they would give you long shifts in a rowboat on the lake called rotting and just, like, punish you. So the fact that this all came out, I think, to the help of the Me Too movement and... Yeah. To these brave, like, girls that step forward in, you know, the 2020s. But this, you know, we kind of, with this episode, we're like, this is a silly episode of Lifeguards. But now we have, like, an example of how this has been happening forever. Well, it's like, you know, we've talked about it before. It's like people that are supposed to help people, like lifeguards, police, like, they get put on a pedestal. And then these guys think that they're above the fucking law. You know, and um, they get a big head about, oh, I got people's lives in my hands and blah, blah, blah. I can do whatever I want. It's bullshit. Um, the other case that I think helped inspire this one, not about lifeguards, but it is in the pool. So I thought I would include it. It's the Paul Hickson rape case. Um, he was a British Olympic swim coach. Uh, he ended up being jailed for 17 years total for sexually attacking teenagers on his elite squads in 1995. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was convicted of 15 of 17 charges at Cardiff Crown Court. Um, He was found guilty of raping two teenage swimmers and indecently assaulting others. He was arrested in 1992 um, when he was the chief swimming coach at Millfield Public School in Somerset. So 13 complainants came forward um, who were aged between 13 and 20. So before he was famous, so before he was famous for being a rapist, he was known for the Seoul Olympics. That was like the big thing. He coached a lot of athletes who medaled and he was just kind of like the swimming hero. And they gave evidence that he assaulted them after swim lessons or while carrying out fitness tests. He, of course, denied everything and said that the women just fantasized about him. And this was, and he said that to the jury. Like he said this on the stand. And he goes, no, 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 they well, just fantasized this. That's, I could see Greco saying something like that. I mean, that's like the, he seems like the same kind of guy. 
Um, but she got 12 years for both rapes and other serious sexual offenses to run um, concurrently. And then the judge, John Proser, ordered him to serve an additional five years for the indecent assaults. The judge gave a little speech. And at first, like, it kind of bothers me because, you know, at first the judge starts with, you know, what a terrible shame, a man of your great ability. You enjoyed international swimming fame and brought the best potential out of swimmers. They looked up to you. But I understand the judge is trying to build him up to drag him down in this speech. But it's like, fuck that. He's not known for that anymore. Um, So then he continues, but you had a great duty to them, too. In particular, the girls you committed these offenses against. Their parents entrusted them to you, and they also looked up to you. I regret to say that you have thwarted their efforts and blighted the careers of some of them. And that's from The Independent. So, um, and this is, like, amazing to have someone say this in the 90s. Because I'm thinking about the U.S. like women's gymnastics yeah. team and the lack of like compassion we had for Simone Biles needing to take a break and like just all of these young girls that were abused for decades and like we now are not even kind to them and understand the scope of how abuse affects yeah. people's brains and careers and lives. And yet we had a judge in the 90s being able to understand, like, you fucked these girls, like, brains up, their careers. And so kind of a shout out to this judge, but also, like, nothing ever changes. It's also just so fucked up because it's like, you know you're under a microscope. You know you're 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 not just, like, a swimming coach. You're, like, the swimming coach in your country. Like, you're not just a gymnastics coach. You're the head of the fucking U.S. best team. You know, like, people are looking at you, but they don't think they, I, I don't know what it is, like, the compulsion that they just, like, are like, I have to abuse these girls or, like, because it's like, you're going to get caught. And they did. But they, I mean, after decades, though. You know what I mean? It's decades. They get away with it for decades. It's not that, like, it's not that shocking for them to think they would get away with it. They have been. Yeah. The gymnastics organization in this country abused its gymnasts for decades, like, and allowed it to happen. So, whatever. The judge continued, called him a pathetic creature. And this abuse, like I'm saying, it went back 20 years. Um, And not only did he coach them, but also him and his wife, Kathleen, were appointed assistant house parents to the girls. So it's wild. Um, In 1983, um, to just go backwards, he joined the University College Swansea as an assistant director of PE. It was there that a lot of the sexual abuse was carried out on young swimmers who joined his advanced training squad. He then left in the fall of 1991 to become head of PE at the top Millfield Public School in Somerset. One year later, he was suspended from the school and then arrested by South Wales detectives investigating indecency allegations made by eight former members of his Swansea advanced training squad. While waiting for his trial to start, September 1993, at Swansea Crown Court, he ran away. So this article... And said they use the word absconded, and it's like relax, <laughs> relax the Herald Scotland, okay? Um, but he absconded. Um, I had to get my thesaurus out for that. So he left quickly to northern France and held a job teaching English to businessmen. I really am confused Wait, how this all happened. You've got to be fucking kidding me. This guy was at he another absconded. school where he did this before he got before the British swim team stuff. What do you mean? No, this Wait, was he's teaching English to businessmen. No, I know, but but 
you were saying he was convicted in Cardiff for uh, like all these squad. This is like his first squad of girls that he's that he's attacking. He went to basically. the sec. So he went to the second school, and that and then that's when the girls that were abused in his first school all came together, and they made the claims. Got it. Okay. And Got that's it. when I thought he was, he was like I thought he had like had eight eight allegations, and then went to another school and had fifteen allegations. And I was like, what the fuck? How did they let him into that school? No, he, the allegations didn't come out till he was at his second school, but then this school is, like, teaching businessmen. But I also don't know. I mean, he absconded, whatever. He ran away. Yeah. But how, even with an ID, do you get to go to France? Like, you can't even leave the state if you're arrested in the U.S. Like, I just don't get how he got to France and was able to get a job. It's confusing. Yeah, maybe they weren't extraditing yet. Or something, because I feel like if it's European Union, there's probably extradition rules, but right? I don't know. So detectives made appeals for information. They showed his photo on BBC TV's Crime Watch. It was a show. And then other swimmers began to come forward. So once his photo was shared, so many allegations that led to more charges. And then South Wales police made worldwide notice to trace him, and he was rearrested in Sherwood Forest, I think that's what? where Robin Hood is from. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so he was arrested, but after being on the run for 15 months while holding down a job in France. But he was oh rearrested. So this dude's escape, recapture, trial, subsequent imprisonment all came after a South Wales police officer was attending a social event. And he heard rumors about the coach's perverted behavior. So gossip is good. Thank you very much. <laughs> he wrote a report to the senior officers naming four young women as possible contacts. He also was personally connected to this case because his daughter was a promising swimmer and one time worked with Hickson. Whoa. So after the report, the detectives got to work and they were discreet but ex extensive. And they found so much stuff, the Herald called a grotesque catalog of indecency and sex attacks spread over 15 years, starting in 1976. The trial was three weeks. Um, 13 women came forward to accuse him. Nine complainants gave evidence to his indecency. He did tests where he ordered the swimmers to take off their bikini tops and bras before touching their breasts and committing other assaults. One recalled how he would give massages for a muscle injury and then attack, you know, then she, he attacked her when she was 16 years old. He also attacked the same girl in a hotel bedroom after a swimming competition in Barnett, North London. She didn't tell her parents because she thought her career would be finished. She knew if she told her dad that he wouldn't allow her to work with him and he was the best in the country. And if it didn't happen for her now, she would never be able to succeed as a swimmer. So that's yeah. like another layer. Not only is it like power and looking up to these people and in sports, like coaches are everything, but it's like your whole career, like you might not be able to like do your dream. And so... Yeah. There was a 14-year-old who endured his assaults and she was too scared to say anything because he threatened to spread untrue rumors about her having sex with her boyfriend, which, you know, to a 14-year-old is a lot. So yeah. another top swimmer was 15 when he tried to rape her on a changing table before committing a different sexual act against her. Another woman said how he would rape her at his home during school lunch breaks and the first time was when she was 13. The Jesus. coach then persuaded her mother to put her on the pill, saying it would boost her swimming performance. Oh, my God. 
Don't want to get caught. So this dude was convicted September 1995. He tried to get parole in 2002 and he did not get it. He is dead. He died in England in 2008. And like, so I... I couldn't find where he was, so I looked at Wikipedia to just see if he's dead or where he's serving his time, and it it bothered me. So, like, you go on Wikipedia, and the first, like, um, little paragraph is, he was a swim coach in Olympics, and then the rape. And it's like, no, the rape takes priority. Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? So I know all you Wikipedia changers are listening, and I hope you guys fucking change this. I think if you commit rape... You, that takes over your career stuff. It should be yeah. convicted rapist, formerly known as a coach. Like to have yeah. multiple paragraphs about his like coaching experience in life before the rape is fucked up. He's a yeah. rapist. That is what he should be known for. And it sucks that like the swimmers had to work under him and like hopefully their medals are not fully tainted. I mean, I'm going to talk about one woman who like threw away all her medals because it fucked her up so much. And her friend took them out of the trash and that's how she still has them today. But like, it just bothers me. So anyone that's a Wikipedia sleuth, fucking change it. And there's just so many examples of this at high levels. We've talked about the U.S. gymnastics team, but we also have like from 2000 to 2010, the USA Swimming Network, whatever, disciplined 36 coaches for sexual misconduct. In 1977, a famed Canadian junior hockey coach pled guilty to 350 charges of sexual abuse. Jesus. That's That's why when you're like, oh, they get caught, they don't. They don't. And then Annabelle Cripps, who is now known as Catherine Starr, she had British parents but was born in Wisconsin, and they shipped her off to boarding school in London when she was 11 to train with the British best coaches. And her coach was Hickson. And she started a nonprofit advocacy group based in Santa Monica, California, called Safe for Athletes, which we'll hear more about for What Would Sister Peg Do? So she shunned her swimming past for so long, and but now is able to discuss it freely and she wants to help young athletes. And she just really talks about the effects of abuse. And, you know, she turned to drinking and was addicted to alcohol for many years and unable to fully even like delve into her trauma until she was sober for 18 months. You know, it's like that, that's when finally she started to really realize it. Um, Donna Lapiano is Texas's first woman athletic director and headed the Women's Sports Foundation. And she says that, like, she's just trying to, like, she works, she's a contributor and helper to Safe for Athletes. And she just talks about, like, the power and balance with coach. And coaches are gods. And you do anything the coach says. And for Star, she said, yeah, he went to jail, but he never admitted guilt. And it's, like, really hard for her. Um, She was not one of the people who testified. She couldn't even tell her parents. And only when Hickson called her mother to tell her about what was being said about him. And it's like, why would you even do that? But that's when she finally, like, revealed to her parents what happened to her. And she says in that moment when he raped her, according to the American Statesman paper, it was in that moment that my soul left me and has never returned. And she said that to the London police. Um, And then when she finally called the police to file a report all those years later is when she learned that he was already dead. Oh, my God. Um, But, yeah, I all these brave fucking girls... Um, well, wait for a post-mortem and we'll talk more, but like, 
It's so I just scary. feel like these guys need to have like female assistant coaches that are like checking in with the girls like every day being like, is he doing anything? Like, I don't know. I mean, not to... Sure, there's ways that they get around ever getting caught, but... But also, oh. how many SVUs have we seen where the women help their male yeah. cop partners get away with crimes? You know, yeah. it's like... It's really uh, messed up and... It's just the pressures, you know. I went on that deep dive with about Sean Johnson on the balance beam, our balance beam queen. And just like, you know, these girls are fucking young. These gymnasts, 14, 15 years old, international competition, the hours, the pressure, and like the coaches are your home. You're there forever. And to exploit that relationship is so sickening. And the fact that these like athletes are still able to perform at such high levels is, I don't know if impressive is the right word, but. Yeah, it's really, oh my God. Can't imagine it. I just like everybody abuses their power whenever they get a fucking chance. But okay, let's get to our postmortem. So listen, I... When we first saw this episode, we were like, this is hysterical, the most powerful lifeguard in the world. Like, what is this nonsense? And then once you read the real crime and you, it's so real. Every industry is just like dominated by predators that protect each other. And this job is even more susceptible because it's young people. It is teens. It's yeah. people's first jobs. And, and it's people like wearing bathing suits and like, you know, there's a culture around like beach and lifeguards where everybody I think thinks... This is where I'm going to party. This is where, you know, like that's I don't think that's necessarily how like nurses all act together, for example. Do you know what I mean? Like there's like a young sort of like party culture that has to do with lifeguarding in the beach that I feel like is an undercurrent where these guys feel like they can do whatever the fuck they want because everybody signed up to have fun. And it's like, no, it's a job. Well, and it's also maybe a little bit connected to comedy where it's not as well, not really because it is a, a job job, but. Like the 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 lines are blurred. Like you're on a beach. You're at a venue. Yeah. You're you know there. Like the environment adds to this like relaxed vibe when it is still professional. Yes. Yes. But right. I don't like know. there's so much that happens in comedy that you just don't even think about that you if well, you worked in a regular. She was explaining about how all the zoos have a program of like breeding where they do all these genetic tests and then they like ship the animals to different places to like br breed. And they don't force it. If the animals don't want to breed, they don't breed. But so I went, wait, you're telling me you just ship an animal to go fuck at a different zoo and bring them back? And she seemed shocked. And then my <laughs> friends were like, Lisa. And I was we like, can't. oh, yeah, fuck. We are at this person's job. This person's probably younger than me by a law. Like, and it was... Yeah. But no one would think twice about saying that, like, at a club, at a bar, or even at if the you say cunt, you perform. Like, oh. I feel like that's normal, or like, or like, that's normal discussion, or you can, like, say things. And then when I knew, I knew a girl when I was a salon receptionist that broke up with her boyfriend because he called her a bitch. And maybe it's like, that's her limit. That's her boundary. And she didn't want to be spoken to like that. And that is absolutely fair and normal. But like, I can't even imagine me clocking it. <laughs> I can't even imagine me clocking that it's an issue if someone said stop being a bitch I'd be like whatever 
You know? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Context is everything, right? Because it's like, I'm always like, what's up, bitch? Like, I'm obviously not saying that in a mean way. But if your boyfriend said it to you with like venom, like you fucking bitch, like that might be a reason to get out. But but if, is idiot better? I'd probably be more mad. I'd be like, I'm not an idiot. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, well, yeah, it's also like, that's not the only reason they broke up because he said one, he said that word. Like, No, but she had like Disney adult vibes where she, I just remember, she was like an innocent type girl. She loved the Cubs. Like I, she had cool highlights, but I just remember her being like, yeah, I'm not putting up with that. Like it was, we were also very, very young, but it, I've remembered this now for 15 years. Yeah. That I just, the way we speak is, I think, looser than people get to speak at their jobs. Like, um, sometimes on my social media and YouTube, there's videos of, like, women that help profession, like, how to speak in professional, like, in professional settings and set boundaries and, like, that you don't have to tell someone what you're doing on your lunch break or not working overtime without getting paid. And it's like, how to say it? And people will be like, how do you say this in professional speak? And then they'll like, help you? And I'm like, I don't think I ever have, I don't have to. I have to ever really worry about that? Yeah. Yeah, I get to yeah. just say, and and it, the things that I have to be professional about, I pay people to do that. Right. Like if there's something that needs to be professional, I don't need to speak. There's like a lawyer. Right. You know, and so I, there is, but there is no HR, there's no, there's no protections, I guess. Like if someone just doesn't like you, they can unfairly. And and there's been a fair share of horrible shit that's gone on in our industry too. So it's not like, we're not, we're not um, immune to it at all. But Not um, immune to the issues, but I think it's like a perk that, but I like the perks of like, you can say, I don't have to censor myself. I can wear what I want. Yeah, the threshold is higher for inappropriateness, for sure. Like it's not in, it's not verbal. It's not like in clothing. It's exactly. It's like, it's pretty much in action. Like if you do something, then you're going to get repercussions in our business. But almost anything you say is probably not going to hurt you that much unless you're Kathy Griffin and you hold a picture of a bloody, you know, president's head and then you get canceled for a year. But now she's back and she's on tour. But... I think this episode uh, also, you know... Ego, a little bit of power, helping each other. And then I guess the donations really get favors. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, like the political stuff was so was so wild. But, but that's like anything, like removing the lifeguard funniness of it. Like, yeah, just people being like, think twice before you ruin this guy's life and stuff like that. It's like, what about the lives of the people who are dead or the people who have been, like, you know, sexually assaulted to stay in their jobs or whatever, you know? Like, that's... No, that you need to get over. That you need to... Why didn't you report it sooner? <laughs> you should have gotten it together, try, like, processed it, gone to the authorities, and been fined for court and saved all the evidence immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Paid for your own rape kit to be tested. <laughs> like, what the, the expectations on victims is... It's wild. If we were just a little bit nicer, just I wish the patriarchy wasn't so strong. Like, just having compassion. I just hate the, like, suck it up. Tough it out. I did it. It was worse when I did it, and I'm fine. Like, that attitude is like, can it die already? Yeah. Hopefully it dies with the boomers, because that's a real boomer attitude No, because I feel like business culture took over. Hustle culture is the new boomer culture. Nothing matters. The... 
there's a reason a Porsche is only two seats and the bus fits everyone. Cut people out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're not the smartest person in the room. You better move, bitch. Like, it's like this weird attitude where, I guess, yeah, just no emote, like, no, no reflection on yourself. No growth. Yeah. The hustle for the uh, the hustle above all else, I guess. Like nothing else matters besides what wealth. I don't know. It is hard though because then sometimes you see people and you're like, "Fuck, that is so cool." Your work, like I I watch all these Kobe Bryant clips and it's like, listen, the algorithms. Um, and so uh, and he was so intense, and it is inspiring to see someone working out harder than everyone, pushing everyone to the max. But then it's also like. I would rather have friends and be nice to people around me. I don't know. But then, well, we can't all be Kobe. Yeah, we're not destined to be one of the greatest NBA athletes of all time, I think. That's probably, you know, that's a very specific person. It is. And it's, yeah. but those are the people we look up to. And then it's hard not to feel inferior at, at times. Yeah. And then I think also those people get power complexes and then that's where like, I think some, not not him specifically, but like well, abusive. Him, he is, well, what, yeah. he did commit a crime. Yeah. Um, he definitely did commit a crime. But even with the George, like I'd rather be Shaq. The, I think that, I think I have to go get some Shaq posters. I gotta I'd rather remember. Be Shaq is a funny, like a funny piece of merch. <laughs> I want to be doing commercials with the general. I don't care. Get me that little cartoon general and let's roll. Like, fuck. Let me just buy people shit at Target and hang out. But like Kobe and Shaq had a lot of issues, which I didn't know about because Shaq, Shaq would be like, give me the ball. And Kobe would be, say, you don't work hard enough. I'm not giving you the fucking ball. Oh. He goes, if Shaq worked harder, we would have had 12 championship rings. He's like, it annoys me Shaq doesn't work harder. And Shaq's like, I'm chilling. Yeah, because it's he's not like, like Shaq wasn't one of the greatest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the thing. I don't know. It's you it's work hard. to live, you live to work, you know, there's different but also like maybe Shaq had more like inherent Nate like like inborn talent and Kobe had to work harder for it, you know? Who knows? If we're talking yeah. about basketball, I certainly don't know. <laughs> like I'm not the answer. <laughs> <laughs> This has become a full sports Taylor. This podcast. is a <laughs> this is a sports philosophy podcast now. All right, you know, just certain people's work ethics are so inspiring, and it's hard. It, there's this hard balance of like, no, I want to be in the moment and content and enjoy stuff, and then what's the other balance of like, you are you're not actually working hard enough, and you are coasting, and you're not taking the the opportunities you have in the way you have. It's like, I, I just wish all the voices weren't um, like so loud all the time of like what you're doing. Now. And then I guess that's also being like self-involved. Yeah. If yeah. I had other things to think about, I wouldn't be thinking about how much harder I should work on stuff. <laughs> but then, well, you know, all day it's like, I don't write shit. And then I, and then I go, I went to the store last night and I had like the best set ever. I had so much fun. And then I'm like, I guess I could just be a couch potato. And then I get home and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. It's like, I don't know how people do it. Well, it's also a little bit of eyes on your own paper. Everybody's do, everybody does things in a different way. You write and come up with comedy in a very different way than other people who sit every morning and write seven pages of stream of consciousness writing and then they see what they can get out of that. And like, that's just not you. And like, you know, that doesn't yeah. mean you're better or worse than anyone. In fact, 
I think it means like your brain works in a very different way than those people who have to just like put nose to the grindstone and work harder at it where there's for you like almost like a more ease to it where it just comes to you. That's the way your brain works. But should I have new bit? It's just like I want to hang out with the the chill people. Yeah. But, but you can still look over at the rich. hard workers once in a while and go, hey, great job. I love what you're doing. I'm not going to do it, but I like I see I see <laughs> I how you're hustling. You know, I know I want to be maybe pushed against the corner where I feel if someone scheduled me f- the whole day, I would do it. Yeah. I'm, oh, just, if you were I'm called not going to schedule myself. Yeah. And if you were called <laughs> onto a set, you you show up, you do your work day, you work long hours when you're when you're filming something. You know, we're just we all we all guess what I begged multitudes. my people for. What? I said, where's my White Lotus audition? <laughs> I go, where's my White Lotus audition? I go, I don't think I'd get it, but where's my audition, bitch? Let me send a tape. And they were like, we're trying. There's really not a lot of parts. For, it's just, she's like, it's, it, she's like, don't worry, we've been on it. And I go, well, there's not one diner somewhere? In <laughs> Thailand? <laughs> no, you're right. Lisa's working at a Thai diner? <laughs> Fuck them. They didn't get me the, they didn't get me the Thai waitress <laughs> audition. But also like the top show, the, the best show ever. But I am like, I think if someone's going to play a dumb bitch, let me get a shot. Let me, let me throw my hat in the ring. Totally. This audition I did this morning was for, I guess we're not allowed to talk about it, but it was for like a cute lizard. And I was like, I would love this too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Lisa, I want you to become the new Geico Gecko. Okay, (laughs) let's move on. Oh, I would be so rich. We would be on below debt. We would be everywhere. Oh my God, we'd be having so much fun. If I was the Geico Gecko. I mean, we need one of us to get that flow progressive job where you never are going to work again doing anything else, but you're just going to make those commercials for 10 years. Oh yeah, we would, we would really have fun. Yeah. Because some people don't know how to spend their money. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> uh, I I think I spend what I have, but um Kara's wild. She she did help me clean out my car. It was very nice. She did it so fast. It truly has um been eating at me forever. But then you did grab my jean jacket and you're like, "I can I can sell this for you if you want." And I'm like, "Put the <laughs> denim down." Put the denim down. <laughs> I was going through it. I was like, okay, beach towel, pair of underwear, whatever. And then I was like, this denim, you know, I could get good money for this on the market, <laughs> like on the on the mom market in Northeast LA. Um, okay, let's move on to what would Sister Peg do? Speaking of, you know, spending money or donating money, it's a new year. Hopefully for the holiday season, you can- I want to uh, know how many homes Mariska has. Do you think about that? Oh, for sure. Because yesterday, one of our friends texted us while we were recording and said, I just passed Mariska Hargitay's husband on the street while I was listening to your podcast. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if they, they definitely still have a place in Manhattan, right? Manhattan, like, sure. LA, Long Island. And then- That could be it. There's no way. Maybe a Maybe, yacht. Yeah. When you're that rich, like, what do you do? I don't know. There's like full TV shows explaining how rich people spend money. I don't know. I'm acting like I've never, but yeah, I'm like, curious that Mariska's Well, because the out. thing is, is that she continues to work and she could stop working tomorrow and still be a millionaire for the rest of her life just on residuals and how much like that show gets played on 10 different channels all the fucking time, you know? Oh, I know. Because she's not only like, she's an executive producer of some of them or like a director of some of them, you know, so it's not even just acting. Anyway, let's get into our What Would Sister Peg Do? This is our weekly segment where we direct you towards a resource, a blog, post, book, 
podcast episode, something to give you more info about what we talked about today and maybe an organization that you can help. And this week, we wanted to point you to the organization Safe for Athletes. That's safe and then the number four and then athletes. And this is the organization that Lisa mentioned earlier that was started by, um, you know, a victim of a, a coach uh, you know, sexual assault. So this is a nonprofit providing a safe and positive environment for athletes free of abuse, bullying, and harassment. Uh, their goal is to create a space to empower athletes to be joyful in sport. Their organization provides training, fundraising, and advocacy. You can also report abuse at their website. So if there's, you know, like sometimes it feels difficult in a square. Some schools, some like states and governments, the, the coaches are gods. So you, who do you tell? This is a website where you can get some more resources and get some help. So for more info, go to safe, the number four, athletes.org, safeforathletes.org. And that will be posted on our uh, Instagram stories the day of. It's in our show notes and uh, it'll be safe forever in our WWSPD highlight on our Instagram page. Thank you so much for that. And next week, we will be doing an uplifting episode called Baby Killer, season two, episode five. Join us on this um, amazing journey. Thanks for coming in with us into 2024. And we hope to do this for as long as SVU keeps churning them out for us. <laughs> um, so thanks for everything. And I hope your new year starts on such a high note. And if you want to be depressed, Baby Killer is waiting for you on Peacock and Hulu. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun, dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.